You know, some people say little girls should be seen and not heard. <laughs> and I say, fuck oh, that God. shit. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I'm just sorry. fuck I, that I, shit. Uh, we were, I thought we were going in a different direction. <laughs> oh, you thought I was going to be serious. That's cute. Yeah, I thought you were going to start singing the song, but I guess not. Well, you know, I can't do it justice. Yeah, nobody can, really. Yeah. If there's ever a song that, though, we should definitely agree with, it's Oh Bondage, Up Yours Mm. by the X-Ray Specs, which we're going to talk about tonight. Yeah, we're going to talk about, well, we'll talk a little bit about X-Ray Specs, but mostly polystyrene, not the actual plastic, but the woman. <laughs> Who is not plastic either. No, she was a living, breathing human being. Human beings. Yeah. Or yes. I, she was English from London. Which so means I guess, she's not a human being? Which, no, I mean, I guess you would have to say her name more like, um, Polly Storyne. <laughs> You've got a lovely structure. <laughs> she does. A polymer structure. Good for her. <laughs> Welcome to Rock Candy. Uh, we did it. We did it. Hey, we yes. thought we didn't have anything to open with. But and... we always figure it out. Here we uh, are. <laughs> your podcast bringing you stories and tales and sweet treats from the world of music. And we're your hosts. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And we have a lovely structure of a story for you to know today. Oh my God, we're going to have so many bad British accents, oh. aren't we? Buckle up, buckaroos. It's the big book of British accents. <laughs> we're going to artful dodger all over oh this place. Oh my God. That's what I say now. I'm going to bed. <laughs> my honey, I'm like, better watch out. I'm going to artful dodger all over this place. I don't understand. What does that mean? And oh, you're like, oh, you know. Oh, you're going to know. Wink, wink. You know. You're going to know. Are you know. just, just going <laughs> to use a bad British accent the whole time we're having sex? Yes. Oi. You're Oi. Ri- Oi. You're Oi. right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> almost. Almost. There, there we are. are. Oh, there we go. I'm so sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry, so sorry, England. This is why they don't. We're not even ranked in the UK because they <laughs> fucking hate yeah. us. Yeah, but you know what? Too bad. So sad. <laughs> but not at all. Not at all. Mm. It's also why Bono doesn't listen to us. Oh well, he doesn't like our canon that we made up for him. So. And, and yeah, I think it's lovely. <laughs> they should be so happy. He should be happy that we just let him roll around in her garbage cans and we didn't do anything worse than that. <laughs> We could have. We could have. But we didn't. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome, Bono. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And uh, yeah, to keep us peppy and zippy throughout this, I am drinking a lovely brew from Alphabet City Brewing Company, <laughs> 7th Street Blonde Ale. <laughs> I thought you were going to say 7th Street Blonde Ale. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, opportunity missed. Yeah. Fuck that up. All right, let's redo this. Whole thing. Start from the top. Anyway, yes, this is a quite refreshing, lovely blonde ale. Perfect for summertime. It has a whole lot of your dog hair stuck to it. Yeah, that's my life. It's delicious. It's all over your microphone. It's on my microphone. It's stuck in my, like, teeth trays, my Invisalign trays. It's everywhere. Adds a little spice. Yeah, adds a little spice to my life. And, you know... Uh, it works. Six degrees. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna six I'm, degrees. I'm ready of beer for this. this. I'm ready so, for this one. Let's let's do this. So Blondale, blondes are kind of cliche, mm-hmm. and X-ray Specs has a song called "I'm a Cliche." Indeed, the name of the biography or the documentary that I read for this is called "I Am a Cliche." So there you go. 
And blondes are, I mean, Altino shade blondes. Yeah. The whole plot thing, kind of a cliche. If you think about it, like, Nancy Spungen was the prototypical punk girl. Yeah. And she was blonde. Yeah. And uh, polystyrene was the exact opposite of Nancy Spungen. Yeah. So. Yeah. See? We did it. We did it. High five. (laughs) You fuckers think I can't do it. Six degrees of beer. Six degrees of beer. (laughs) Did it. Nailed it. Good for you. Yeah. I can go to bed. I can go to bed and uh, sleep sleep soundly through the night now. Yep. (laughs) Okay. Should we get on with this? Let's get on. Uh, Tell me about polystyrene. Okay. So first. It's made in a factory. (laughs) The actual polystyrene shit. Yeah. Plastic. Is it made from oil? I don't know. It's made from resin. Sure. Ooh. I don't know. What, okay. I don't know I don't how know. fucking science works. <laughs> the polystyrene, the person, though. Yeah, we're going to be talking about the person. Yes. And first, let me cite my sources. So the first is Day Glow, the polystyrene story by Celeste Bell, who is polystyrene's daughter. Nice. Um, Celeste also um, helped create a documentary that was just released not that long ago called Polystyrene, I Am a Cliché. So that was by her, Paul Singh, and Rebecca Mark Lawson. And both are absolutely great. The documentary is beautiful. Hmm. A very lovely tribute, but also very honest. Right. They left a few things out, which totally understand. If they wanted to leave some things out and like... I mean, you only have so much time. Exactly. And, you know, when documentaries happen, especially when they're about people who have passed away, you know, people really want to have a very specific picture of them that they want to live on. So, of course, they're... True. You know, but for the most part, you know, it was a pretty honest documentary well you've given away the buckle up moment of the episode not really oh <laughs> not really <laughs> there you're right there are some oh fucked up i know a oh, little yeah. bit about oh, polystyrene yeah. story wow that's hard to say polystyrene story yeah and uh oh there is some shit there's there's some stuff guys yeah get ready for some bullshit yeah so if you're american you've probably never heard of polystyrene You probably haven't heard of her punk band X-Ray Specs either, which is a shame because both Polly and her band would become trailblazers in the London punk movement. Mm -hmm. Not only was Polly a woman fronting a punk band, she was a woman of color, unapologetically mixed race and in your face with loud outfits that were shocking even for punks. She became a darling of music media in the UK. But all that attention would put so much pressure on Polly's shoulders that breakdowns were inevitable, leading Polly to become, leading Polly to a lifetime of mental health issues. Mm. X-ray specs only lasted a few years, but Polly's story didn't start and end there. Before she was Polly Cyrene, she was Marianne Joan Elliott. Born on July 3rd, 1957 in Bromley, Kent, England, she grew up in the district of Brixton in South London. Her mother, Joan, was a white English woman, and her father, Mohammed Saeed, was a black man born and raised in Somalia. Wow. According to The Independent, you know that yeah. English news- newspaper? newspaper? Yeah, newspaper. Mark? It's a newspaper, but I believe now it's, it's mostly only online. In- yeah. Because, you know, print media is dead. Yeah. Yeah. But according to The Independent, he was a quote-unquote dispossessed Somalian 
aristocrat. Oh. But it was more likely that he tried making his fortune in the Middle East after leading a nomadic life in Somalia, failed to see any real riches, and stowed away on a ship that eventually landed in London. Wow. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. Or that's wild, you know? That's a wild way to end up in England. As the talking head said, it's a wild, wild life. (laughs) Thanks, David Byrne. Joan and Muhammad met at a dance hall. Joan was captivated by this dapper and sharp-dressed man with soulful eyes. I mean, you know, girls go crazy. For a sharp-dressed man. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. They know it. And soon enough, they were in love. In a time when there was a huge emphasis on the nuclear family, Polly's was the complete opposite. Mm -hmm. There were three children altogether. Polly's youngest sister, Hazel, had a different father. Oh. But ultimately, Joan and Muhammad became estranged, and Joan raised their children by herself. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, apparently he was what we now call a player. (laughs) He's not a player. He just crushes a lot, Ashley. Maybe. I don't know. How dare you? But he wanted to crush everything. Oh, my God. (laughs) He he was just like, nah, I don't want to be married. You know, I'll give you some money for the kids, but I want nothing to do with that. He wanted Joan to have an abortion. Rad. Yeah. Rad dad. Rad dad. It's been a minute. Yeah. At least, at least he visited them on weekends and gave them some amount of money at some point that he made his millions on just sitting around in the middle east or whatever working at working at the docks in london yeah Yeah. oh okay that makes way more sense yeah it was still very post world war ii aftermath in england and all joan could afford was a three-room tenement flat with a toilet in the kitchen and a coal stove in the living room very very george harrison-esque yeah but it's that's but i I can't i still can't a toilet in the kitchen toilet in the kitchen that's where i draw the fucking line yeah nope my cousin lived ironically in hastings in new york not hastings england which Mm -hmm. is where polly would eventually end up um and she had a toilet and a shower in her kitchen no like can you build a thing why don't you just build like even just a shitty little divider well the the shower was like encased like there were walls and like a curtain but it was in the kitchen next to the stove i hate it but also like isn't that kind of a fire hazard there's so many electronics in a in a kitchen i know it just seems i mean all i could think about is that picture on your hair dryer where it's just a big (laughs) x to the hair dryer right next to a fucking bathtub with a woman in it being fried oh my god But they don't do the fried anymore. Now it's just a woman and they're like, I'm enjoying my life. I sure hope no one throws a fucking hair dryer in here. What are you doing? I don't want that toaster in here with me. Yeah, right? Come on. You can't have the toaster that close to the shower. <laughs> anyway, Joan worked long hours as a legal secretary. So Polly and her siblings were some of the first latchkey kids. It gave Polly a level of self-sufficiency and independence. Other kids of her generation didn't experience. Hmm. She also had a tough time in school, unable to concentrate on her schoolwork, but there was a ferociously creative side to her. Mm -hmm. She was constantly drawing, writing music and lyrics, singing and creating logos for bands she dreamed of putting together someday. Oh, that's adorable. It was a way to escape her everyday life, which was fraught with racism and ridicule. 
cool. And as we all know, kids are fucking mean. Kids are um hashtag the worst. The worst, yes. And their parents can be even meaner. Seeing a white woman raising three black kids, Joan was automatically shunned. Oh, for fuck's sake. Polly absolutely knew she did not fit in. She wasn't white enough for the white community and wasn't black enough for the black community. That is a tale as old as time in so many, especially in the UK, like UK artists that we've covered. This is Phil Linet, like all over again. And it also tricky. Yes. Yeah. All of them have always like felt that otherness of like, well, I'm not white and I'm not black. I don't know what you want from me. And especially with Phil Linet, I know he was in, he grew up in Ireland, but it was pretty much the same deal. He was obviously black, but being raised by a white mother. Yeah. Whose black father was not in the picture. Um, So, like, he got a lot of racism, too, and he got that extra piece of ridicule because his mother was obviously white and not the same skin color as him. Right. So, same shit. Her frustration and anguish came out in her music. She even wrote a song around this time called Half Cast. Ooh. Cast being an offensive and derogatory term describing people of mixed race. Interesting. Do you think that has something to do with the caste system? Yes. Okay. It mostly, it, in at least in the beginning, it referred to um, people of mixed Indian descent. Right. Because caste... Um, like they have the caste system right, right. in India where like you are absolutely put into a category based on your income level. The and day you are born. The day you are born determines how people treat you. And also um, the word caste is derived from the Latin word castus, which literally translates to pure. Ooh. So when you're calling somebody half cast, you're telling them that they're unpure. Ooh. And that's fucking horrible. Oh, that makes me so uncomfortable. It makes you cringe so hard. My skin just crawled. That's gross. My stomach just went. Oh, God. Yeah. So she was well aware of how people viewed her. And though she heavily leaned toward quote-unquote white culture Mm. she never felt like she really fit in oh yeah no and all of this culminated in polly running away from home when she was only 15 yeah pretty fucking young she only had three pounds in her pocket but she had so much adventure in her bones that she couldn't stay at home and she fucking hated school. Yeah. And she right. like, she's like, I suck at this. I don't want to do this anymore. They called her in for a bone marrow transplant. And when they did it, they're like, there's no marrow. It's all just adventure. <laughs> she's just ripped full of adventure. Write a prescription for adventure. Stat. <laughs> <laughs> Write a prescription for adventure. <laughs> That should have been the name of her biography. Well, maybe it can be the name of this episode. It's gonna. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) This was a challenge to see if she could survive. And luckily she did, even though she was hitchhiking from one music festival to another and staying with any hippie weirdo that had spare floor space. Yeah, that's just sketchy. It's so fucking sketchy. It's super, but also like it's just what you did back then. Yeah. I don't know why we don't do it now. I guess we just know better, or people are less trustworthy. You know, I think it's because we are way too into true crime now, and like we understand what happens when you hitchhike. Yeah. 
You don't in a in a world of Uber and Lyft, there's no need to hitchhike anymore. True story. And also, I would never pick up a hitchhiker. I don't care who it is on the side of the road. Ain't fucking stopping for you, my my dude. Sorry, Terry. I got places to be. <laughs> and not and dead is not one of those places. Yeah. <laughs> dead and buried in like the desert of New Mexico is not on my to-do list. Not today. Not today, Terry. <laughs> Her adventures came to an end when she was bathing in a river and stepped on a rusty nail. <gasps> yeah. Uh-oh. Girl got <sighs> sepsis. <sighs> and, <laughs> and thanks to a friend's father, she was snuck into a surgery center and treated. I hope they, they gave her a tetanus shot. I mean, I kind of too late. No, it still helps. Right? I don't think so. I think mm. the tetanus shot is preventative. So like a vaccine. I don't know. They just treated so like, her, they treated her sepsis. At yeah. this point you have to treat the sepsis. All right. The sepsis. The sepsis. <laughs> but the sepsis. All right. She doesn't have sepsis anymore. We treated it. Right. Bones are still filled with adventure. Still. Though. So much adventure for her bones. It was around the same time that 15-year-old Polly met 31-year-old Falcon Stewart. That's a cool name. Great name. Not a great guy. I was going to say, a little worried about this. You should be. I don't trust this Falcon man. He was a photographer and filmmaker, and she was now an aspiring musician, Mm -hmm. so he became her manager Mm. and her boyfriend. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. No. No. He apparently did not treat her well. Like, I don't think he was abusive, but I don't. I think he was just looking out for himself and just kind of wanted to fuck a teenager. Oh, yeah. Don't touch kids. Don't touch She's kids. She's a fucking kid. Wow. So her. we're hitting rad dad and don't touch kids in one episode. Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ. I mean, it's been a minute, but still. We're going to pretty much touch on everything this episode. I don't want to. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. and But like he didn't treat her well and he was also not a good manager. Some of the contracts he had her sign were bullshit, and her her daughter Celeste would later allege that Polly was exploited so that Falcon could make all this money. Oh, yeah. And, 100%. Yeah. I mean, Polly Styrene is really charismatic. She's mm-hmm. attractive. She's fun. She's talented. She's a fucking goldmine for somebody like him. Oh, yeah. And he saw that, and he also saw that she was only 15, so he was like, I'm going to get on that. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, yeah, he groomed her, clearly, to just be like, yeah, trust me, and I'm your boyfriend, and I'll be your yeah. manager. You know who he reminds me of? Kim Fowley. Ugh. Yeah. Go uh, listen so to our was, Joan Jett episode so to get the and also, on that guy. And also our... Um, jo- uh, and also our Lita Ford episode. Yes, because, wow. So he was also crazy Falcon Man. I don't know if he was crazy. He was just shady and ambitious. Is it a bird thing? Falcon Man? Kim <laughs> Birds Foley? aren't real. But birds aren't real. Mm, I'm starting to have my doubts. Kim Foley? <laughs> like Fowl? Isn't it? Isn't it named like... His name's King Fowley. I but think it's Fowley. <laughs> right? Birds. Birds. <laughs> is it like F-O-W-L? Yes! That's Fowl. That's a yes, bird. Yes, I know! It is clever, Maggie, <laughs> but it's also fucking stupid. <laughs> All right. I win this round. I'm 
giving it to you just because I can't. Huzzah! (laughs) Polly and Falcon had an intense relationship that lasted lasted quite a while. By 1976, they were living together, and Falcon managed to get Polly signed to GTO Records. Wow. At only 18 years old, she released her first single called Silly Billy, a simple and almost childish reggae track with elements of early ska. Yeah. It's cute. It is cute. But um it's, a hit it is not. It is very um rudimentary. Yeah. Is that the is that the right yeah. word? Yeah, it's it's simple. Yes. And you can tell where she's going. Yeah, but it is kind of silly. Yeah. Well it is silly, silly billy. billy. <laughs> the single didn't go anywhere and her involvement with GTO records dissolved, but she wasn't discouraged. In fact, she was inspired to go in a completely different direction. It was her 19th birthday, and she was celebrating it at an early Sex Pistols show at Hastings Pier. Seeing the Sex Pistols switch something on for her. Like, yeah, everyone. I can, like, I, I can do like this, everyone. too. Like everyone. Like everyone. Everyone went there and like, wow, they play like real shite. I can do this. <laughs> I can 100% do this. I can do, it, I can do, do it better than this. And you know what? They did do it better. Everyone who went to a Sex Pistols con- concert 100% left and just did it better. Yes. That is the only thing. Everybody was always like, oh my God, but the Sex Pistols. Oh my they God, but no. a good band. No. They were just like a highly produced, manufactured band yes. that were so shitty that when people went to see them, they're like, well, fuck this. If I could, if they could do this, they so were purposely I. shitty. They were really only there to show off Vivian Westwood's clothing. Literally. Yeah. They were models, guys. Yeah. Sex Pistols were a manufactured band. I'm not getting into nope. it now. We nope. will do it later. Nope. nope. This is about Polly. Sorry. I'm sorry. But you're right. Polly saw them (laughs) and did it a hundred times better. Absolutely. Yes. She started getting really into the punk movement that was sweeping London at the time, inspired by how different everyone was, yet everyone seemed to belong. Black, white, whatever, it didn't matter. Mm. Finally, her race was not a big deal. You could express yourself however you wanted to in the punk scene, which inspired Polly to open her own market stall. Here she sold the plastic jewelry and day-glow color clothes she liked to wear, and even though the all-black and leather jacket uniform was de rigueur in the punk community, she didn't care. She absolutely loved fashion and was more than happy to buck trends. Yeah, see, I would 100% go to that and be like, I know I'm punk and shit, but like, this is cool. I'm gonna buy these. Like, I I like wearing the rainbow. Yeah. Which she did. She did it well. She did it well. She put an ad in Melody Maker magazine for, quote, young punks who want to stick it together. Aww. Young punks who want to stick it together. Oh, that's lovely. Oh, thank God, <laughs> Dr. Stick It Together. I'll respond to this ad. Advertisement. <laughs> and hoping to get enough interest to form her first band. She auditioned the band members herself and quickly hired Jack Airport on guitar, Paul Dean on bass, and Paul Herding on drums. Lots of Pauls. Too many Pauls. Already, we're hitting too many Pauls levels. <laughs> Last but not least was Laura Logic, a 15-year-old high schooler who played saxophone. Mm-hmm. It was an unexpected touch adding a saxophone to a punk band, and one that would definitely get the band noticed. Oh my gosh. Oh my. Horns? In my punk music? <laughs> but yes, it did nothing but favors for them. Oh yeah, definitely. They knew how to intertwine that saxophone into their songs you she yeah 
It was. She knew it. It was good. She knew it was up. But what really got the band attention was Polly herself. She just stood out, just being her own badass self. She was female, first of all, at a mm-hmm. time when women weren't found in punk much, much, much at all. Mm-mm. Unless they were basically the only women in punk were like the girlfriends and wives of punk musicians. Right. And even women who attempted to be in a band or lead a band were still seen as secondary or as groupies by yep. the men that were in the scene, which yeah. is fucking bullshit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, she was female. She was mixed race. She wore her hair big and curly with little braided bangs in a way that made it clear she embraced her black heritage. Nice. And her wardrobe was full of bright, mismatched colors and handmade boxy dresses made of plastic and foam. (laughs) And we can't forget the glorious braces she sported for years. That's right. I forgot she, like, still had braces. Pretty much through the entirety of X-Ray Specs, she had braces. If none of this caught your attention, the second she opened her mouth and sang, you were looking at her. Mm-hmm. It was high and girly, but there was such fervor and urgency to her voice that you knew she believed what she was yelling to you. Oh, yeah. Of course, Falcon Stewart became the band's manager, but he didn't really act like a manager. What? Which is like a thing he's not he... good at it or yeah. something? Weird. It was an unspoken fact that he and Polly were together, but he acted more like a benefactor financing her career. Gross. There, there was a lot of speculation that he had more say in the band and Polly's image than Polly let on, but there's not much proof of yeah. that. I can't. I feel like, I mean, granted, I don't know. I wasn't there. Maybe I'm wrong. But if Falcon had more input in what she was doing, I feel like he would have geared her more towards like the black leather and sexy and sexy. But most of the stuff that she wore was specifically so that she could hide her body. Right. So I don't I don't think he was smart enough or not sexist enough to let her. To tell her to dress the way she did. I have a feeling that people, because of the generation that they were from and because of the scene they were in, don't want to give Polly the credit for making her own decisions. No. Maybe she referred to Falcon on, like, when she couldn't decide on something. Maybe she referred to him or, Which one of these plastic box dresses should I wear tonight? Pink or neon blue. Which one? I really like the neon blue. Right. <laughs> like, I think maybe they saw her referring to him for some decisions or, like, making decisions on, like, their sound or touring or shows or something like that and just automatically thought, oh, well, she doesn't make decisions for herself. Which is bullshit. Yep. She's but still anything... making her own decisions. Yeah. She just, he's kind of just a sounding board. Yeah. Anything you know? people can grab on to not give to her not give the her credit. credit. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Sounds great. Let me give you a for instance. Ooh. Polly's stage name. Her story was that she was looking to change her name and wanted something plastic to be a commentary on consumerism because that was like her big thing in her lyrics. Mm -hmm. She happened to look through the yellow pages and saw the word polystyrene and stuck with that. Mm -hmm. Others, however, insisted that the name was made up by Falcon. Why would he make that up? Even in interviews, 
journalists would be condescending as fuck and be like, oh, well, is that something a record label gave you? Is that something a manager gave you? And she's like, no, I fucking looked it up in the yellow pages. What do you want from me? And it's like, oh, that's so fucking frustrating. That's that was a frustrating part of the documentary. And it's not on the documentary makers. Oh, no. Um fault for any of that it's just they want you to be frustrated yeah it's just you saw how condescending journalists were to her Mm -hmm. and it's just so frustrating they treat her like a child that has absolutely no mind of her own i feel gross saying this but it all makes sense considering a she's young Mm -hmm. b she's female Mm -hmm. and c she's a person of color yep those three three things mixed together condescending journalist types love to be like aren't you so cute so who gave you that name oh who makes your wardrobe decisions oh my god so does your boyfriend like write your songs for you fucking bullshit yes it's that's in fucking sufferable work i agree i've seen i've read and seen a little bit enough about her to be able to tell like nah this isn't something someone can manufacture like that's got to come from the soul yeah some of the shit she does is so wacky you're like no no one can just make that up and like that's got to come from someone and in no the sense of like, like it came from her not that like some white dude was like so i think you should probably do this yeah and yeah. like some of the stuff she did and said was just so kind of out there that I have a hard time thinking that somebody else, a person of authority or mm. whatever, would be like, you should do this crazy, wacky thing. And she would right. be like, oh, yeah, totally. Well, and actually, if you think about it, everything she's doing is very, and I'm not saying this is an insult, It is. there's a juvenileness to it. There's, there is an There's aspect, an innocence to it. Yes, there's an aspect of it to like... You could only do that shit when you were in high school. Oh, yeah. Like, you see some of the shit she does, like, ah, I did some weird shit, too, when I was in high school. Yeah, absolutely. Because you have the bravery and the creativity, and no one stifled that from you yet. Right. A fucking grown-ass man is not going to think of this shit. Yeah, no. Not at all. So, like, fight us. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Final closing statement, fight fight us. us. (laughs) Though he did help produce it, what definitely wasn't made up by Falcon was X-Ray Specs's music. Mm-hmm. Polly would spend hours and hours in front of a typewriter spitting out lyrics. Although she didn't intend it, a lot of them would be looked at as feminist anthems, Mm -hmm. especially the song, Oh Bondage Up Yours, which was one of the first X-Ray Spec songs to gain traction in the underground punk scene. Mm. So we're going to play a little clip for you because it's an amazing song and you need to hear it. But also, let me know who you think it sounds like when we're done listening some people think little girls should be seen and not heard but i think oh bondage up yours one two three four saxophone though (laughs) that fucking saxophone it works perfectly it works so good but you listen to her voice Mm -hmm. 
Who does she sound like to you? I'm an asshole because I cannot think of her name right now because I'm trying so hard to think of her name, but it's Bikini Kill. Yeah. Kathleen Hanna. Thank you. I yeah. was like, K. K something. Katie? Kat. <laughs> so close. Catherine. So close. <laughs> yeah. No, 100%. When I started listening to them a few months ago, I was like, oh, this is Bikini Kill and La Tigra. Like, this is yeah. Kathleen Hanna, 100%. Like, Kathleen Hanna absolutely tailored her voice completely to polystyrene and that's not i'm not reading kathleen Hanna no that's here. all tea. i'm i it's just truth like i get it absolutely you would want to copy her yeah you could have changed it a little bit but like but i do believe I'm, kathleen Hanna's even like attributed a lot of her influence oh, to x-ray specs absolutely and has you know tried to get polystyrene's name out there and was mm. like she 100 influenced everything that i do mm-hmm. um but girl, Jesus Christ, you sound exactly alike. I know, Holy it's fuck. crazy. My God. Anyway, in September 1977, the band released Oh Bondage Up Yours as a single. It reached a wider audience than just the London punks and resonated with the disaffected youth of the 1970s, especially feminists and women fed up with the patriarchy. Yeah. In subsequent interviews, Polly would accept the song's feminist ideas, but also say it wasn't just about screaming at the patriarchy. Hmm. It was about bondage of all types, political, Mm -hmm. capitalist, racial, all of those things. Yeah. Still, the song became a true feminist anthem and directly influenced women in America who started the Riot Girl movement in the 80s and 90s. Oh, yeah. This is a huge, like, snowball effect. X-ray specs, the raincoats, the slits, like all of them were like direct influences for pissed off women on the West Coast. Like, hmm, they've got a point. They all make real good points. Yeah. Decidedly very non-feminist was the unceremonious ousting of Laura Logic only a year after she joined the band. Oh, no. What? Yeah. At this point, the band had a successful single and played the Roxy twice, which led to an unofficial residency at a club called the Man in the Moon Pub in Chelsea. With her multicolored outfits, curly hair, braces, and effervescent voice, Polly was definitely the star of the show but she might not have wanted to share the spotlight. Oh. A lot of news outlets say Laura left the band because she was only 16 and wanted to go back to school, but that's not entirely true. Ooh. Laura herself has said she was distraught when she was let go. It's speculated that Falcon Stewart was behind her ousting. He possibly told Laura that Polly was jealous and didn't want another female band member taking the spotlight, mm. which I could see happening. I mean, I mean, Polly's still young. Right. Though her parts would be played by male musicians from then on, mm. the group still use Laura's uncredited saxophone parts on their upcoming album. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So they already recorded her doing those parts mm. and they used them on the album. But didn't give her the credit. Mm, that makes me feel icky. Come on, at least give her the credit. Let her have some royalties. We're gonna kick her out, right? But like that ain't cute. Her, she, and um, Polly definitely left with a very tense. Like there was oh. no friendship left anymore. Oh no, not at all. Oh no, 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 no. So Germ Free Adolescence was X-Ray Specs's first album, released on November tenth, nineteen seventy eight. It was largely about anti-consumerism and the world's materialistic tendencies, which is really funny because Polly was a shopaholic. (laughs) 
That is kind of ironic. Yeah. Oh, that is what irony is, isn't it? It is. Oh, absolutely. Shit. Alanis, you can have that one for free. Yeah. But like her favorite thing to do was to buy clothes. I mean, it tracks. Absolutely. I get it. It's my favorite thing too. Did you love just buying clothes and be like, well, this is all shit? <laughs> and have to return all of it? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, my favorite. That's my favorite. <laughs> She had an impeccable wardrobe, but maybe she understood the contradiction and accepted it. Yeah. Either way, no one really clocked her for it. And I'm fine with that. <laughs> right. Man, the 70s when you didn't have the internet following your butthole around all the time. Yeah, but you still had butthole music journalists following your butthole around. Yeah. But can you imagine if your butthole had an Instagram? I might make an Instagram for my you know butthole. What? Have you checked your butthole? Have I checked my butthole? Skeet up, butt up, butthole. <laughs> Hitting all the marks today, kids. Mm-hmm. But when the album was released, Polly's confidence started to show cracks. She noticed that the album cover, which showed each band member stuck in a test tube, was altered, showing her to be much thinner than she was. Ooh. And it felt like it was an attack on her body. It is. Growing up, <laughs> which it is, it is absolutely. You're right, Polly. It yeah. is. Growing up, she was a confident person. She was secure in her looks and was never short of boyfriends and admirers. And she was never, not one single minute, anywhere near what you would call fat. Nope. But this incident is kind of the first time her confidence falters. That's common in so many stories about women too I feel like because I think there are a lot of stories about women especially going into the punk and rock scenes yeah where they come in and they're like hey I like who I am and it's fine and everything's great and then all of a sudden you get a journalist who's like so you're a chubbier than the rest of the girls eh and yeah. they're like am because, I chubby because if you don't conform to the like sexy rock chick trope then you're viewed as dowdy and fat even yeah. if you're not like, like anywhere not even, near yeah. it not even close. And that's kind of what they did to her because she didn't show her body. Yeah. And then the minute they show their body, it's like, oh my oh, God. Oh, you're a whore. It's she's the Billie Eilish effect. It's the Billie Eilish effect. It's fucking Well, now garbage. she's just a whore. The release of germ-free adolescence upped the bands and in particular polystyrene's popularity. They landed a couple of gigs on Top of the Pops, Top of the Pops, Top of the Pops, and these shows really got people noticing them. It also got people scrutinizing Polly's appearance. What? No way. Never. Why do we care about people's appearances? <sighs> That's not a thing. And it's not that the media and the general public hated on her, but they would give her backhanded compliments. Mm-hmm. Like, let's celebrate the fact that this unconventional looking woman is bucking against traditional beauty standards. Oh, look at her. She's wearing this ugly ass dress that makes her look like a box on stilts. Isn't she just otherworldly? Oh my God, she's so quirky. She's so unusual. <laughs> she's just Cindy Lauperd before <laughs> Cindy Lauper Lauperd. <laughs> Before Cindy Lauper, Lauper to Cindy. <laughs> but seriously, I just, why do we have to give a shit about a musician's wardrobe? We don't. Oh. We really don't. Are like, you sure? Because flash, I'm pretty sure don't. Rolling Stone and Vogue have all told me I need to give a shit about what my musician looks like. Not that they're talented. Rolling Stone has also told us we have to give a shit about so many garbage. Rolling Stone has told us how many times we have to give a shit about Eric Clapton. And that dude is a god and deserves to have his dick like jerked off all the time. He and doesn't. 
I'm quite sure that Eric Clapton is the worst person in rock music that has ever existed. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can sign up So with fuck that. Rolling Stone. All right. To Polly, that meant they were saying she was ugly and fat. Mm. She read between the lines and took the unspoken words to heart. Mm. And that sucks for somebody who is so charismatic and just had an I don't give a fuck what you say kind of attitude. As X-Ray Specs' popularity in England grew, they felt it was time to put their imprint on the States. Yep. Their album wasn't even released in the U.S. until 1992. Wait, really? Yeah. Way after this. (laughs) But... They were granted a residency at CBGB's nonetheless. Hell yeah. No one knew who they were, but they made such an impression on the audience that their shows were packed. They had people like Debbie Harry, Chrissy Mm -hmm. Hind, and Thurston Moore cheering them on from the front row every night. Yeah, I definitely feel like women like Debbie and Christy were just like, oh, this is what I need to be doing. Yeah, like, look at this chick. This this is, like, otherworldly. Yeah, there's no way that... X-Ray Specs didn't influence Blondie because if you look at even just like their covers of their albums oh, yeah. you just you see there's um there's this quirky punkness a, to there, both of them I think that even though X-Ray Specs was in the punk scene I think that Polystyrene's uh, fashion choices mm. were really ahead of their time when relating it to New Wave yes so I think the blend of those two things Put X-ray specs more in the vein of new wave before that was even really a thing. Yeah, I can so see I that. So I can see how that would influence Debbie Harry and the other members of Blondie. Yeah, to go in a slightly poppier, more Technicolor direction that yeah. new wave kind of latched onto. Yeah, in the eighties. Yeah, does that make sense? No, one hundred percent. Even like I could probably even see like Talking Heads. Like visually, Absolutely. I'm sure David Byrne probably saw some of this stuff. I was like, that's fucking weird. And yeah. I'm fucking weird. It's I'm kind of like, fucking weird like them. It's kind of like that Andy Warhol pop art yes. kind of direction that really X-ray is. Specs was tapping into before the new wave yeah. shit started. Yeah, that's a definite part of that bridge for mm-hmm. sure. Though their shows in New York were successful, the band's CBGB's era had an incredible effect on Polly, and not necessarily for the better. Oh. New York was a huge culture shock that she didn't respond well to. She said that New York totally blew her apart because she was seeing everything she was writing about in extremes. Wow. Like she was on their album, Germ Free Adolescence. Her lyrics were about this like heightened sense of consumerism and how like bright lights and plastic things and in your face and everybody wants it everybody needs it everybody's gotta go and get it and she was thinking yeah this is a dystopian world that i'm writing about but it's actually real in new york city yeah and that was like a huge shock it's like 1984 come to real life oh no and that was hard for her to deal with and on top of that Audiences at CBGBs were way more intense. Yeah. And like dudes would be like storming the stage trying to like kiss her and oh. hug her. And like oh. people had to like grab her and get her off stage because people were just way too in her space. And she that freaked her out a lot. Yeah. I mean, she's a tiny, she's pretty tiny. Oh, right? yeah. She was tiny lady. Yeah. She was pretty short and like just 
she's a badass, but if you have that many men just jumping on stage while you're just trying to do a fucking show. And if your your whole psyche is already kind of fragile yeah. because of what's going on with the media in England, people having that much enthusiasm for you and invading your space that much more mm. is hard to deal with. And I think in general for women, we have it in our DNA now that when a man approaches us, no matter what... You could be the most badass bitch in the world. You're still like, mm-hmm, but yep, you get okay. freaked out. Like it freaks totally. you out. Even and if a man just comes up and starts complimenting you, you're like, I don't, don't fucking come near me. Because it's like yeah. at this point in our lives, like it's like you can't help but look at a dude and be like, what are you fucking doing? Right. So I can't even fathom how she would feel, fucking vibing on her oats on stage and like, yeah. Fuck you, fuck the patriarchy, fuck like all this cast shit, and fuck then racism, just like fuck this some bullshit. fucking big burly dude jumps on stage to try to fucking kiss her. Like what the fuck? Yeah, like how do you get out of that situation? And that that fucks with you mentally. And I kind of feel like her band members kind of looked over her, but not that much. I mean, at the end of the day, I think they also probably wonder, well, what were you we gonna do? Right. I think that was their attitude. Like, what can we do? It's like, well, you could look out for her a little bit more. Yeah. But at the same time, they probably had the idea that she could look out for herself. Yeah. So. Yeah. Complicated. Anyway, the obsession over materialistic garbage was fascinating and grotesque. And in order to cope with it, she had to develop a perverse love of it. Mm-hmm. And she was exposed to the seedier, darker side of New York where drugs and negativity reigned. No. Which took any shred of innocence she had left no. and destroyed it. No. Then at a party, she was given something to smoke. She didn't even know what it was. And that just fucking broke her. Like, no idea what it was. But she was absolutely gone then. Oh, no. She went back to England exhausted and completely disenchanted. She mm. was tired of all the people telling her she was great and amazing without actually caring about her. Mm. After she dropped those people out of her lives, it was clear she had a distressingly small handful of people that actually gave a shit about her. Oh. But she still desperately tried to be taken seriously by people in the punk scene. One of those people was John Lydon. Better known as Johnny Rotten, lead singer of the Sex Pistols. Okay. For some reason, she respected the Sex Pistols so much. Yeah, I mean, they all did because it influenced them. It was their influence. I guess. I'll let, you know what? I'll let Fine. her have it. Fine. Am I not merciful? Fine. Thank you, <laughs> Commodus. Um, but she also had a huge crush on him. And oh. I guess she was one of those people that, like, if she had, if she de developed a crush on somebody she knew that she would never have a chance with, she just like obsessed over it and Aww. like kind of tried to ingratiate herself into their lives. And mm -hmm. they were usually just like, oh, child, no, you know, <laughs> no matter how she tried to ingratiate herself with them, they treated her like an annoying kid sister. Ugh. One night, Sid Vicious even tricked her into thinking a closet was a bathroom and locked her in there for over an hour. Sid Vicious is so cool, guys. Yeah, such a cool guy, isn't he? Ugh. Fuck Sid Vicious. Honestly. Anyway. Anyway. No. no. One, <laughs> no. <laughs> no one even thought to get her out. Oh, no. What no. the fuck? That's why she was there for over an hour. The sex pistols were assholes. They were assholes. Total assholes. 
They weren't even a real band. (laughs) (laughs) One evening shortly after returning from New York, Polly came around to John's apartment for a small party. Kind of just invited herself over because that's what she did. No one even paid attention to her to a point where she had been gone for about half an hour before someone noticed. Oh, no. She emerged from John's bathroom with a shaved head and immediately made a beeline for the door. One person that was there admitted that they were completely insensitive about the incident, not even realizing it was an indication of bigger mental health issues. Yeah. 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 Shortly after she cut all of her hair off, which actually completely reminds me of Britney Spears. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, yeah, that was no, Britney's that was... call for help. This is Polly Siren's call for help. Yeah. If someone does such a drastic change near you, stop and say, hey, maybe perk your ears up a little bit. How you doing? Yeah. Do you want to talk? Yeah. Do you not want to talk? Can I help you in any way? Be a fucking friend. Just even just be a human. <laughs> just be kind. <laughs> Kindness is. I I understand cool. that human kindness is kind of lacking right now, but once in a blue moon, just pay attention. Give it a shot. <laughs> you might like it. You might hate you it. You might I like don't know. paying attention. <laughs> anyway, shortly after she cut all of her hair off, X-ray specs were spe- set to play the Rock Against Racism Festival at Victoria Park in London on nice. April thirtieth, nineteen seventy-eight. This festival was a huge deal, mm-hmm. being the culmination of a political and cultural mo- cultural movement against racist attacks happening around the UK. Mm-hmm. Also, against racist uh, bullshit statements that Eric Clapton made. So, <laughs> no, what? he's no, a racist. No. like so cool. He would never. He's, except he's the worst. He's a blues god. Suck my dick, he stole the God. music from black people. How could he hate them? <laughs> he stole their music and became rich off of it. He can't hate them. Anyway. anyway. Obviously, a politically charged band with a mixed race front woman was going to be there. Mm-hmm. Everyone was un justly worried about Polly's hair. Like, oh my god, you have a shaved head. How are you going to possibly face a, an audience of 80,000 people? So they weren't I don't know. worried in like the right way where it's like no. Hey, are you feeling okay? They weren't really? worried about her mental health. They were just worried about how she looked. So sit with that for a second. I wanna. Instead of focusing on the fact that this 80,000 person crowd was about to see a mixed race woman front a punk band, which is far more important, Mm -hmm. everyone was more concerned about her keeping a woolen scarf on her head so they wouldn't see the atrocity that was her scalp. I hate this. I hate all of this. I hate every single minute of it. Just just do the Carl Winslow. Three, two, one. One, two, three. What the heck? Is bothering me. Sexism and racism. All of this. Oh, yeah. That's what's bothering me. Hard to not be upset. Weird. So halfway through the song Identity, she started unraveling her headscarf. Yes. Of course, everyone was shocked, but Jesus Christ, it wasn't the end of the fucking world, people. (gasps) When asked about it, she said that if she was ever looked at as a sex symbol, she'd shave her hair off. So she did. There you go. And I don't think that was really the reason why she did it. No, not at all. Um, but it probably played a part. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure there's an a, an aspect of her that started to get freaked out when people are like trying to 
be all over her, be all up on. So yeah. she's like, hold on. Wait a second. I'm just trying to sing some fucking music. Yeah. But then Johnny Rotten won't even fucking give me the goddamn time of day. And I feel I'm, like a nobody and yeah. I need to do something to get attention. So Sid Vicious is a piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot going on in there, kids. Not just... <laughs> <laughs> this is why we drink. Anyway. But at the same time, her cutting all her hair off was an indication of much deeper mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Not only was she exhausted by the band's hectic go-go-go schedule, mm-hmm. she had so much pressure on her to be a voice for women, to speak out against consumerism, to be a beacon of hope for people of color, and to be a lightning rod f- and to be a lightning rod of- for prejudice. Yeah. A turning point came in 1978 after a show in Doncaster, South Yorkshire. The band was on the last leg of their first and only full UK tour. Polly was adamant that she saw a UFO outside of her hotel room. She described it as a bright ball of luminous pink made of energy like a fireball. She insisted that the UFO came right up to her window and probed her hotel room, hovering and inspecting everything. Whoa. She should make friends with Tom DeLong. Oh, God. I don't know. I don't know if anybody should be friends with Tom DeLong. Oh, Tom DeLong. <laughs> uh, the next day, she casually mentioned to her bandmates over breakfast that she was visited by a UFO and it told her she needed to give up the plastic consumerist way of life in favor of a simpler life. That's still fine. Not hurting nobody. Nope. They weren't really sure what she was talking about. And later they all piled into a car where Polly started taking her clothes off and saying, I want to go back. I want to go back to being Marianne. Oh. So obviously kind of a mental health breakdown. Oh. She started telling people that she was going through a spiritual awakening and her mind was opening up to all of these things normal people can't see. So people thought that her UFO experience was a hallucination and she was going crazy. Mm. So Polly's mother, Joan, then intervened and brought her to the Maudsley Hospital where she was involuntarily committed. Oh, all right. Okay. I don't think this was a bad choice. I yeah? Think she, I think it was very clear that she was going through a, a mental health breakdown. Yeah, no, she needed help. Yes. And I, I, I didn't think, know she needed to be committed or just like I'm glad to take that, a break. I'm glad that her mother did it. Mm, that's fair. And arguably, any time Polly had to go into a mental health facility, she did well. Oh, good. Like, it was a good thing for her. Okay. So this wasn't necessarily a bad thing. All right. That she was involuntarily committed. I think she just didn't have the wherewithal to realize she was going through some mental health issues to commit herself. So Joan did it for her. But of course, (laughs) she was misdiagnosed with schizophrenia when when she was actually suffering from acute bipolar disorder, which is apparently a thing amongst black mental health patients, especially in the UK. They are very often misdiagnosed with schizophrenia when they actually have bipolar disorder or depression. Wow. I don't know why, but like, I'm assuming it's just because doctors don't fucking listen to their patients, especially when they are black. Yeah. It's almost like doctors don't care about black people. Especially in the 70s and early 80s. Yeah. They didn't give a flying fuck. Yeah. Especially because of the times. 
I'll give a little, like, I wouldn't call it a pass, but I'll give a little leeway because I think back then there was a lot of misdiagnoses in general between bipolar and schizophrenia. Oh, yeah. But, but I'm sure at a higher rate with people of color. Much higher rate with people of color. Absolutely. No doubt in my mind. <laughs> the diagnosis and later re-diagnosis was devastating. Her doctors told her she would never work again, that she would never make music again. Oh. She was only 21. And I mean, come on. We had a whole mental illness awareness month. Like, people with schizophrenia can make music. Yeah. She still could have had a career. It would have been quite different, but, but it could have th- worked with her. I think it's quite ironic that uh, even at this time... No doctor would have ever told a man oh, no. that he would never work again at age 21. Oh, no. No. Like, you saw the career that, like, Daniel Johnston had. Yep. And he was much more severe than Polly was yeah, when cause... it came to um, depression. Mm-hmm. And he he had schizophrenia, right? I think yeah. he had schizophrenia. Um, Like, he he was in a plane and, like, took it down and crashed it. Yeah. But everyone's like, eh, keep going with your bad self. Yeah. And it's kind of like when you look at counterbalance that with like Wesley Willis, who had schizophrenia mm-hmm. and no one would take him seriously. Because he was, though, because he was a man. black man. But he's like, he was on the same level as yes. Daniel Johnston. But also he wasn't granted the same types of privileges yep. as a white person usually is because he was black. He was born into lower income. So he didn't have the correct the correct health care. He didn't mm-hmm. have people caring as much. Yep. And I'm sure at least Polly probably had slightly better health care. Thanks, white mom. But I don't think she did, though. I really? think um, at this point, I f- it was the 70s. Mm, I don't too. know if she was still with Falcon at this point, but he was like paying for all of this stuff. Cool. You know, he was the benefactor. So if she did have any kind of health insurance, he was paying for it. Okay. Otherwise, she wouldn't have had anything. Damn. She wouldn't have been able to go to Maudsley Hospital and pay for it. Yeah, no you're way. Because right. her, her mom was probably still lower income. Yeah. Like, she she, she lived, probably never fought out of that. She never moved. I think she moved once from the tenement house that uh, Polly grew up in. Mm-hmm. She moved to like a slightly nicer tenement house. <laughs> I was afraid you were going to say that. <laughs> and like, that's where she stayed for all of the rest of her life. Aww. She lived there for the rest of her life. So... It's not like Polly was making a ton of money. No. She was barely making any money. Right. Um, so she always kind of relied on, you know, whoever she was dating at the time, if they could provide mm-hmm. money or as we'll get into, like other ways of making money. So. And, yeah. Who knows? She wasn't going to top top notch doctors here that didn't have any prejudices. Yeah. She was going to like the social worker kind of doctors who mm-hmm. are like yep okay just move it the fuck along i Answer got a, i quiz. got 50 other patients to see today yeah. let's go go through this quiz oh yep schizophrenia take it again two years later yep still yep. schizophrenia yeah you're a black woman who has moods that are up and down oh you got schizophrenia move it along i got like 30 more to deal with exactly anyway but also i'm i'm like projecting american healthcare systems onto right. the uk i really have no idea what the UK health system was like in the late 70s. No idea. 
I'm assuming that it it wasn't universal at that time, but fucked if I know. Fucked if I know as well. So yeah, she was put on medication for schizophrenia and released from the hospital just to plunge herself back into the pressure of being polystyrene in x-ray specs. No. They performed on top of the pops again, only for Polly to break down in the dressing room afterwards. No. So she decided to walk away. They were, yeah, probably best decision. Yeah. They were at the height of their popularity, but Polly realized she couldn't go on with all that pressure on her shoulders and survive. No. As her daughter Celeste put it in the documentary, quote, the only way she could exist as an authentic person, as someone who is true to herself, was to kill the persona she created. Polly Styrene had to die so that Marianne Elliott could survive. Yes. That makes sense. Yeah. After leaving X-Ray Specs in 1979, Polly attempted to rebrand herself with a solo career. She recorded her first solo album, Translucence, in 1980, going in a much different direction than what people were used to. Translucence was much calmer and dreamier with elements of reggae and island sounds, far removed from the grinding guitars and hectic hectic sing-screaming of X-Ray Specs. But that probably felt so much more cathartic to her for a minute. It's... It's a nice little album. Like, if you are just, like, lounging in a kiddie pool on a nice sunny day with a tiki drink and this album on, bitch, you you are anywhere in the Caribbean. (laughs) It's great. Well, now I kind of want to sit around and listen to it. Yeah, I think you would really like it. I probably would. You'd probably fucking love it. It's great. In the summer of 1980, around the same time she recorded and released Translucence, Polly met Adrian Bell. He happened to spot Polly outside of a clothing store on one of her many window shopping excursions. (laughs) He knew who she was and introduced himself, setting off a whirlwind romance. Cannot say that word. Whirlwind. Wow. Whirlwind (laughs) romance. That is hard to say. Isn't it? Whirlwind. Wind. Whirlwind. Romance. <laughs> Only three months after they met, they would end up married and pregnant. Oh, pregante. Mm. Polly gave birth to her daughter Celeste in mid-1981 and she had a really tough go of it. Yeah. She was still dealing with mental health issues. Remember at this time she was misdiagnosed with schizophrenia Mm -hmm. on the wrong medications Mm -hmm. that she only took intermittently was still in and out of mental health facilities and could have possibly suffered from postpartum depression. Oh, 100% suffered from postpartum depression. It's kind of a given. Look, I feel like 99% 99% of women have postpartum. At, to some level. Yeah. At some degree. Yeah, because, like, how do you not? So, on top of this, translucence was not well-received. Mm. Reviews were mostly negative, with critics lamenting that she wasn't producing politically charged punk rock anymore. Because it drove her crazy! <laughs> Literally. And you guys are being completely insensitive about it. Anyway, her label EMI dropped her, Ugh. and things just kept getting worse. With an infant to take care of and no jobs on the horizon, Polly and Adrian hopped from one relative's home to the next. Mm. And Polly was fed up with bouncing around with no direction, so she sort of abandoned Adrian and Celeste at his mother's house and went to live in India in 1983. Whoa. Yeah. What's a choice? 
Here, she got deeply involved with the Hare Krishna movement. No. Once again, we're talking about the Hare Krishnas. And upon going back to London, she split with Adrian and took Celeste with her to live at an ashram called Bhaktivedanda Manor in Hertfordshire countryside. No. Bhaktivedanda Manor is a large estate donated to the Hare Krishnas by none other than George George Harrison Harrison. (laughs) and is now their largest estate in the UK. They're like, Hare Krishnas. Of course it's George Harrison. But also side eye to the Hare Krishnas. But also, like, I feel like, okay. Mm hmm. Because, like, George Harrison wasn't super into the reggae, but you know who was? Paul McCartney and Linda McCartney. Uh-huh. Linda McCartney and Paul McCartney should have done an album with Polystyrene. They should have. That would have been beautiful. Should have, could have, would have. Looking at you, Paul McCartney, you fucked up. Nope. You had a fucking, you had now a loop gonna here. Now we're going to side-eye Paul McCartney. You had a loop here with George, and you didn't do it. You could have talked about that on your McCartney 3-2-1 thing with what's-his-fucking-face. <gasps> what?! <laughs> Let's talk about that let's, song you wrote. Let's turn this music up real fucking loud and then scream over it while you tell me stories. <laughs> Dumbest fucking documentary series ever. Thanks, Hulu, for wasting my time. Not here. Not now. Not here, not now. Okay. Anyway, anyway. we're talking about polystyrene. It made sense that Polly, a directionless musical nomad with a rough childhood, acceptance issues, the heart of a hippie, and unchecked bipolar disorder would seek out some kind of stability, which presented itself in a tight-knit group of religious devotees. Okay, this checks, but why'd you steal your kid from your husband, leave him, and then go join it? It sounds like a cult. I'm assuming at this point, Adrian didn't really, like, have a job or any money, so he was kind of like yeah if you're gonna go live at this manor where you can live for free and she can have a childhood with other kids take her still sounds like a cult it's a cult (laughs) she was the perfect candidate to get swept up in a cult and quite frankly that is what the Hare krishna movement is Mm -hmm. fight me i don't care (laughs) at the ashram polly and celeste were given new names maharani dazi and radha shakti Respectively. You know, it's a sign of a cult when you get given a good, given a new name. Yeah. Hmm. When your past identity is erased and you don't even know who you are anymore and all of your time and mental space is dedicated to one supreme leader. That's a cult. That's guys. Cult. That's a cult. They became vegetarians. Actually, Polly was a vegetarian starting at like age 12 or something. But like she forced Celeste to be a vegetarian, too. As the Hare Krishna believed that if you ate meat, you went to hell. Okay, well, like, that's all extreme. That's a bit extreme. Like, Like, it was like, oh, vegetarianism, that's cool. All right. Oh, oh, you pump the brakes. You're not going to hell. But then you made it religious. And now I'm like, now I just want to eat, like, red meat all the time. Now we're going to go get filet mignons after this. I'm just going to go get all the fucking nugs. Oh, man. I'm going to eat so many burgers. There were other children there, too. However, they were not exposed to pop culture or anything outside of the ashram. Nope. Not at all. Because it's a cult. For the first few years of her life, Celeste had no idea what punk music was or that her mother was involved in it. All she knew was the Indian music her mother sang to her. She wasn't exposed to Michael Jackson or Barbie until she was nearly 10 years old. Eh. I know that feel. Honestly, maybe for the better. Yeah. But, I mean, that's not uh, that. Okay. 
Interestingly, former X-ray spec saxophonist Laura Logic joined the movement around the same time as Polly. What? Yeah. Bananas. Fate. The two reconnected after they moved into the ashram together, once again becoming good friends. Aww. I think at some point, Laura actually married Adrian? What? Weird. I couldn't confirm that, but like I read it, I kind of read it somewhere, and I was like, it was like a blip, okay. and you're like, but I need more, and like, you'll never get any more. But than like, that. I Googled as hard as I could and couldn't find anything else. So, like, I think they may have married later. That but sounds since... like a two hour Google dive that you never got any answers out of, and that's oh, yeah. so frustrating. Yeah, that was absolutely what it was. Even Laura could see that being a part of the Hare Krishnas changed Polly, but ultimately she couldn't outrun her demons, and she suffered numerous mental breakdowns mm. while she lived at the ashram. Because joining a cult, not going to solve your problems. Definitely not. The more you know. (laughs) These culminated in being sent home from India for erratic behavior, chasing monks through the manor house, and walking through temples without clothes on. Okay. Yeah, she was like grab-assing the the celibate monks, which is kind of fucking funny. Sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but but I'm laughing. But I shouldn't laugh because that's still wrong. But it's funny. Whether she was asked to move out of the ashram or decided to on her own, Polly and Celeste moved to an apartment nearby. She took Celeste out of the Hare Krishna's boarding school to live with her, essentially isolating her in that apartment, but also not taking care of her. Polly didn't work by choice. Instead, living on the royalty checks she would periodically get throughout the year. Okay. This meant that they constantly flipped back and forth between feast and famine, and that wasn't healthy for a toddler slash adolescent. Or anyone. Or anyone, really. Ever. Even an adult. Celeste also suffered some neglect at the hands of her mother. Mm. Polly would get so absorbed in writing... Spending hours upon hours in front of her typewriter, clacking out lyrics to songs she'd never finish. And Polly didn't eat when she was in these writing wormholes and nearly forgot that she had a daughter to feed as well. Jesus. Eventually, the neighbors grew concerned with the young mother and daughter. It was obvious that Celeste was neglected, weighing barely 50 pounds when she was eight years old. Oh, no. It was at that same age that she climbed out of her bathroom window so she could go with a social worker that showed up to take her away. Oh, no. And Polly's mental health at that time was so bad that she knew she couldn't take care of her own child anyway. So Celeste went to live with her grandmother and enrolled in public school, which was something she never experienced before. Yeah. At this point, she's like eight or ten or whatever. Yeah. She'd only been at the Hare Krishna school. Or neglected. Or neglected. Cool. (laughs) The only school she knew was the ashram at the Hare Krishna temple where people weren't even allowed to swear. So it was extremely jarring to be thrust into a London colloquial school. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Eventually, after a drawn-out and bitter court battle, Polly's mother, Joan, was granted full custody of Celeste. However, Polly remained in Celeste's life as much as possible. Okay. And Celeste dealt with the repercussions of her mother's neglect for years, working things out in therapy, but still being an angry kid. Yeah, of course. She had a lot of anger towards her mom, which often resulted in physical fights with her. Wow. Yeah. It It was... it was a bad time. That's a bad time. It, it's understandable, though. Oh, yeah. 
Celeste went back to live with Polly full time when she was 15, which she said was actually good for Polly because it forced her to look after herself and her mental health more closely. Yeah. And I mean, you have a slightly older kid at this point who can be like, hey. Yeah. Mom, we gotta eat. And who can kind of take care of herself. Yeah. She was still in and out of mental health facilities, but by 1991, when she was correctly diagnosed with extreme bipolar disorder... Thank you! Finally, she was able to get a better handle on her mental health and her relationship with her daughter. Good. Polly moved to Hastings and reconnected with her musical past. X-ray specs were reformed in 1991 for a surprise show at the Brixton Academy. The show sold out and was a huge success. Polly was in her usual unconventional garb, nice. donning an army hat and a blue floam. Fl- remember floam? No. Oh, you don't remember Gak? Yeah. Oh, was floam the bubble Flom one? the styrofoam one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. I'm there. Anyway, but she wasn't wearing a floam dress. She was wearing a foam dress <laughs> with little planets on it. It was really cute. Oh, that's cute. And the look would become iconic. However, Polly hated it. She said she looked like a giant hot water bottle. (laughs) But I I thought she looked really fucking cute. It's But you're Polly's diary. And that's just what you do, girl. That's your thing. (laughs) Anyway, the show was so successful and demand for another X-Ray Specs album was so high that they did just that. Wow. The band's second album, Conscious Consumer, was released on September 28th, 1995, 17 years after their first album. That's great. That's wild. Yeah. Polly Styrene, bassist Paul Dean, and original saxophonist Laura Logic returned to record the album, which, despite its demand, was sacked by critics. Whoa, it's like critics are super good at their jobs or eat my dick. It's like critics know what they're talking about. Fuck off, critics. Um, You're not Nirvana, so we don't care. (laughs) We're still like crying about Kurt, so... I mean, arguably, at that point, when they released Nirvana, or never mind, Nirvana wasn't even Nirvana, so. Um, But we're still going to nut over it. Yeah, pretty much. Still, plans to promote the album and tour were underway for later that year. It all fell apart when Polly was run over by a fire truck in London and fractured her pelvis. Yeah. I... (laughs) Like how much? How who's, much more shit? Who's like, to blame? Like who? Who's whose fi- face do you got to punch for that? But one? also, like, how could you not sue the fucking fire truck that hit you? Yeah, I would definitely sue the fire truck that hit me. Yeah, gonna go with that. Oh, but it was hard for Polly to get the confidence to perform at this point in her life. Yeah, she's been through so fucking much, right? And even when she was younger with X-ray specs, like. Her confidence on stage didn't happen unless she had like a few shots before she went on stage. Oh yeah, which I, I totally understand. Yeah, I'm. I would be that person also. But like, she couldn't really drink, and she didn't really drink because mm-hmm. you know you're on. Medication. You really can't you when can't. you're on bipolar medication. Yeah, it, alcohol and bipolar medication do not. They're mix not friends. New. No. And sometimes she could do it and sometimes she couldn't. Yeah. That's the problem with mental health issues like bipolar disorder and the medications you have to take to deal with it. Sometimes you feel like you can do anything and sometimes you feel like you're not good enough to even leave your bed. Right. 
Polly would have debilitating anxiety without medications, but she also felt like they stifled her creativity. Oh, yeah. So if a gig was coming up, she had to choose which way she wanted to go. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, that's a dilemma that, like, is difficult, especially when you're not performing, like, every night or every other night. You're only doing it once every few months. Oh, yeah, so you're not in a routine. Yeah, no. And you have three months to just div- like build all of this anxiety about this upcoming performance that you don't know how the yep. fuck you're gonna get through yeah you're either like oh man i'm so excited you're like i'm gonna bomb yeah it's one or the other like you're just you're just constantly yo-yoing mm-hmm. and it depends on what you're gonna end on by the time you get to the actual gig yeah so the next several years were kind of just like a mishmash of random quote-unquote reunion shows for x-ray specs okay and some went better than others. Like in 1996, they were scheduled to play the 20th anniversary of Punk Festival in Blackpool. But Polly backed out at the last minute. Mm. And luckily, she recruited a replacement singer aptly named Polly Filla. Oh, okay. As in Polly Filler. Ah. Get it? Polly Filla. And then she gave a solo performance of Oh Bondage Up Yours on April 28th, 2008 at the Love Music Hate Racism concert in Victoria Park, a sort of anniversary of Rock Against Racism Festival, though the band wouldn't play together again until September of 2008. Okay. It was an extremely well-received show in front of 3,000 people and included an encore of Oh Bondage Up Yours with Celeste sharing vocals with her mother. Oh, so it was very nice. That is very nice. But also, it was the last show that Polly would ever play. Oh, that's not nice. She began recording a new album called Generation Indigo with Celeste and Youth from Killing Joke oh. when she began feeling pain in her back. Oh. She went to the doctor who told her she was fine. After getting a second and third opinion, all telling her she was fine, she demanded an MRI. I'm sorry. So, like, she's like, hey, I don't feel good. You're fine. Hey, I don't feel good. You're fine. After None being, of them were like, we could do an MRI. After years of being misdiagnosed with schizophrenia, when she actually had bipolar disorder, she went to, like, three, four, five, whatever different doctors who were like, you're fine. You're just complaining. If this isn't like a commentary on like fucking healthcare yeah. in general, treating not just women but women of color, like, like they're just saying things. I I Hold don't up. know what is. If a woman is coming in and saying she's got pain, she has pain. She has fucking pain. Because do you know how much t- pain we just fucking deal with? Because we got us. Yes. The pain that you have to deal with as a woman on a daily basis just because you're a fucking woman. Yeah, it just fucking kills me that women on a daily, hourly, minutely basis are giving birth. Yep. A lot of times without drugs. Mm -hmm. But when we go in and say, like, I have a legitimate pain, Mm -hmm. we're not taken seriously. No. I mean, that infuriates me. Even to backpedal it to something not as extreme as birth is menstruation sucks. Yeah. If you might not know it, but menstruation fucking sucks. And men have truly no fucking clue what it feels like. What it feels like, what we go through literally on a monthly so basis. So when you go to a male doctor and you're like, yo, I have this fucking pain, and like, 
You're probably fine. You're just overreacting. And no. it's like, bitch, do you know the menstrual cramps I fucking deal with on a monthly basis? This beats that. The fact that I am here sitting in front of you means there is something wrong and you need to fucking yeah. look at it. And like, I, I think I am the only person that I know of that actually has a normal period and always has. Mm-hmm. Everybody else I know has cysts. Mm-hmm. Or, like, overgrown cervical cells or, like... Endometriosis. Endometriosis, PCOS, like, all of these things. And, like, (laughs) it's ridiculous how many medical issues we have just resulting from the fact that we have female reproductive organs that some of us didn't ask for that i'd like to add none of us asked for true (laughs) but some of us will use them right we shall not use them um (laughs) but like just like knowing that we all have all of this bullshit every single person every single female has Mm -hmm. something different that they have to deal with and if we go to a male gynecologist and say but this hurts inside my stomach Mm -hmm. they're like you're fine you're just you're complaining. You should keep a food diary. Like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> you should you should keep a food diary and let's do a twenty four hour urine test. Are my triggers <laughs> like yeah. don't yeah. come at me with that shit? I will kick you in the balls. Yeah. Anyway, we digress. That is our rant against but that's being also, women. But that's also like all of that is to say like if polystyrene is going in to all of these doctors. She knows something is wrong. Right. She knows her body the best out of everybody. And if there is a mysterious pain in her back that has never been there before, I'm going to say she knows herself enough to be like, no, there's something wrong. And the fact that she had to ask for an MRI yeah, is bananas. Yeah, that is bullshit. So yeah, come to find out, Polly had advanced breast cancer that had already spread to her lungs and her spine. Mm. Her spine hurt because the breast cancer that she had had spread to her fucking spine. Oh, jeez. That's awful. And she knew that. But all these other doctors that she went to were like, nah, you're fine. Except her spine is fucking deteriorating. Mm. Like, That's awful. So she didn't live much longer after her diagnosis right. as the cancer had already metast- metastasized yep. so much. So she didn't really even have time to wallow in her impending death. Mm. She was also still a firm believer in the Hare Krishna movement, which okay. preached the idea of an afterlife that she was happily prepared for. Okay, as long as she's happy. She was okay with it. All right, you know what? You got to find your peace somehow. Yeah. Marion Joan Elliott, a.k.a. Polly Styrene, passed away on April 25th, 2011, when she was only 53 years old. That's so young. Her ashes were spread over India's Yamuna River, a holy body of water worshipped as the Hindu goddess of the same name. Hmm. And despite how the media treated Polly in her early career... It seems that the general UK public still holds her in high regard. I mean, well, they have to. Because now they have to give a shit she died. I will fight all of the UK. <laughs> all right. We're going to the UK. <laughs> we're fighting. Her influences on the Riot Girl movement is undeniable, right down to Kathleen Hanna's vocals. Yep. 
And now whole new generations around the world are finding out who she is and why she kicks so much ass. Yep. The Hare Krishna believe wholeheartedly that there is an afterlife. Maybe Polly's is her legacy as a punk icon, as a trailblazing woman of color, in a beacon of hope for young girls that just want to be themselves. Hmm. That's sweet. Yeah. I like that. So I hope um, everybody learned a little something about polystyrene and can fucking respect this bitch. Respect that bitch. Seriously. Ser- yeah. No. Because um, I just learned about them over the summer. Because you had told me. And I saw a video. And I was like, hey, what about this band? And you're like, yeah, no, Maggie, I told you about this band. I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I saw it because we both follow this um, artist called H.E. Creative, who yes. is based in the U.K., and they do like all these pop art prints and stuff. And very they did, uh, feminist forward. Yes, and they did one on polystyrene. I was like, "Who is this polystyrene? I like her helmet. I'm gonna look her up." <laughs> and then I read the Wikipedia page, and I was like, "Oh no, we have to do an episode on this." And then like the next day, I think you saw the same picture. You're like, "Have you ever heard of polystyrene?" And I was oh. like, "No, we have to do an episode on her." I actually saw a um. Uh, there is this YouTuber I watch, and I will highly suggest this to our fans as fellow music lovers, Trash Theory mm-hmm. on YouTube. They're great. They do a lot of different, uh, especially UK artists, mm-hmm. and they talk a lot about po- the punk scene, the post-punk scene, the new wave scene. Um, and the important like, scene. Yeah, they call it like, the <laughs> British canon, and he they do an entire episode on um, polystyrene and x-ray spunks. Spunks? <laughs> X-ray spunk. <laughs> X-ray spunk. Ah, the X-rated version of a fun. Nope. X-ray specs. It's a very good episode. Look, look up trash theory on YouTube, but they're but also very look good. up trash theory. Don't look up X-ray spunks. Don't. Just you don't, do don't it. want Just those don't Google re- results for that. Wow, I think that's a good place to tie a little bow on it. Anyway, thank you all so much for listening. <laughs> We love you and appreciate you. Oh, boy. And very much happy that you are here. Indeed. Listening and learning about new, not new, but old artists that have not gotten their due. Shit that Americans need to learn about. Yeah. Honestly. Learn yourselves. And yeah. So if you are digging this and other, you know, you want to hear more about different artists and you're new to our area, you can just... Go look us up. I mean, honestly, we're on any podcatcher, and our website's www.rockcatypodcast.com. We also have links to our social media. You can follow us there. We have conversations. Toss us an email. Yeah, hit us up. And, uh, you know, if you want to wear our swag, we also have uh, stuff on. Oh, yeah. We, we have merch. We have merch on Who Teespring. Who fucking knew? So go check that out. Or Tee Public, excuse Tee me. Public, Tee Public. Because fuck Teespring. I mean, I just... We're real Shania Twain about Teespring, but they yeah. can do whatever they want. Uh, but yeah, we have swag on Tee Public. Mm-hmm. If you want a sweet tank top to get you through these hot summer days or get ready for fall soon I with did. your nice hoodie, mm. get into some fall maybe. Or keep yourself hydrated with a nice water bottle. Oh, look at us. Yeah. We got shit. Buy it. <laughs> um, also, you can donate to our Patreon. If you're feeling it. If you feel like it. I mean, that'd be cool toss us a schmeckle yep and one day i will remember to send you stuff i'm gonna i'm gonna start texting her every day hey just send the shit literally literally i'm gonna and uh you get bonus episodes you do get swag when ashley remembers to send it out <laughs> and we need to shout out 
Yeah, because we forgot to last time. Sorry. But uh, hopefully hopefully our dear friend Dave will forgive us. Dave, we're sorry, but thank you for becoming a patron. Air horn. Oh, man. Thanks, Thanks, Dave. Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and you can get that same awkward shout out if you give to our Patreon. (laughs) Because that's what we got for y'all. Yep. So we'll be back again in two weeks to start back our usual weekly sessions. Oh, yeah. And, Indeed. Uh, yeah. Our that'll nice be happening. Hectic schedule. That'll be fun. You know what? Our schedule's hectic, irregardless. Either way, it's fucking hectic. Yeah. That's what it's like to live a life of a crazy lady. <laughs> Wild lady. I'm really trying to stop using the word crazy and I'm failing miserably at it. Oh, that's that's a word that's indoctrinated. Yeah. It is imprinted deep into the like dna of a the bowels of my brain yeah yeah but we'll work on it yeah please excuse us but anyway but we will uh work on our shit and then we'll see you kids again in two weeks and until then party on ashley party on maggie and party on you crazy kids out there well bondage obvious (laughs) 